let's go. Well, welcome to the Pharmacist Diaries <laughs> podcast. Thank you. Um, thanks for making the time for me today. Thank and you for having me. Yeah, and it's a weekend, so obviously I'm grateful that um, we get to spend some time together, especially now that we are basically family. Exactly. Um, We've been talking about this for a long time. Exactly. <laughs> and it's, it's actually happening. And yes. I'm so glad that we're doing it face to face rather than doing it on, um, on a, a video call. Mm. Um, I usually kickstart my podcast episodes by starting you way back when um, in terms of A-levels and kind of deciding why you wanted to become a pharmacist in the first place. Um, so... I actually, so at A-levels, I did maths, chemistry, biology, and psychology. Um, and I knew that I was, I wanted to follow like the sciences. I was out of my siblings and I, I was the only one that was into the sciences, um, my strongest subjects. Um, and at that stage, I had basically had the choice of medicine or pharmacy. Um, and the college that I went to was very, we had a lot of people going into medicine, you know, preparing for the, um, I can't remember what it was called, but the pre, pre-exam to, to uh, apply for universities. Um, and I basically ended up, I remember having a conversation with my mom, we were driving somewhere. Um, and I was like, mom, just tell me, what do you want? what should I pick, pharmacy or medicine? And she, I, I actually expected her to just tell me to do medicine. Um, and I was like, okay, I've just got to accept it, go for it. Um, and she actually really surprised me and said, I'm not making that decision for you. This is your life. You decide what you're going to be happy doing. Um, so I gave it a little bit more thought and I looked into medicine a little bit more and I thought, you know what, I, this is a lot of hard work, <laughs> really hard work. Um, and I think I'll just have a better quality of life and balance doing pharmacy. Um, I had work experience in pharmacy from like a few years before. I knew pharmacists as well. So I thought, you know, it's probably the better route for me to go down because it's more familiar to me as well. Um, so that's what I ended up doing. I was one of the few people, I remember starting pharmacy school and I was one of the few people who applied directly for pharmacy and didn't get a position through clearance. Um, so that was a bit of a surprise. But yeah, I've, I did it. And I actually quite enjoyed it. I was, I've always been quite academic. So um, again, you know, students going to university or not going to university, you know, missing lectures and things like that. I was one of those who would make sure that I was at my lectures 9am if they were at 9am. I didn't miss a class or very, very rarely. I kind of enjoyed university, you know, it's, that's what it's about. And yeah. Definitely. I mean, pharmacy was my second degree. So the first one, I was having a lot of fun when I was living in the US. Um, I did go to most lectures, but I might not have been super awake yeah. <laughs> uh, for a lot of them. <laughs> but when I came back to the UK to do pharmacy, I was super serious and really dedicated to making sure that I was professional and, um, you know, taking responsibility for attending all my lectures and 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 doing the best that I can in mm. in everything that we were expected to achieve. What was your first degree? I did biology with a minor in chemistry, so that was 4 years in Virginia. Um but it was really 
quite an eye-opening experience because university there is really different to the UK. You can go in without a major. Um, at that time, I was working towards doing medicine and becoming a pediatrician. That was what I thought I wanted to do. Um, and the sciences were the way forward. But in the first year, you get lots of kind of what the equivalent of credits that you would gain um, in the UK. Mm. You can choose from a variety of things um, outside of your major. So you can do anything from, um, I did weightlifting, arts, uh, interior design, uh, sociology, psychology, um, a lot of kind of variety of fun, mm. things that you could kind of expose yourself to, um, learn about, general knowledge um, and then kind of decide whether or not that's something that you want to go down. I loved the interior design. Um, I'm quite creative by background um, and I, I flourished in that class. Um, but I still felt that sciences were my kind of strong point. Um, so I continued down the medical kind of route. Um, and it was an expectation I felt in terms of my family and my upbringing to go mm -hmm. down a very professional career. Um, and medicine was, you know, definitely something that was encouraged in terms of being able to look after myself um, as an independent woman, um, be in a career where I don't have to rely on anyone else to kind of look after me. Mm -hmm. um, like when I get married, I'm still independent. That was a big thing that my kind of family talked about and yeah. encouraged yeah so um i i don't think that i um looked into a lot of other options i probably should have because it was just set in stone i felt like it was just the pathway that my family just kind of expected me to go down and it's worked out really well and there's a lot of positives out of this career journey mm. um, but if I was to go back in time now and go back to GCSEs and A-levels I probably would choose something a lot more creative um, in terms of what I would want to be doing right now yeah. um, and because obviously I've been enjoying this podcast there's actually a lot in terms of journalism media communications um, and the digital world oh yeah that I can see myself working in um, so yeah I, I had a lot of fun basically at university and then when I came back to the UK pharmacy I, I was a lot more serious what was university like for you in terms of what you enjoyed um what aspects of the course were were you good at and how did that help you to decide um what you were going to do long term yeah um gosh I'm trying to remember it feels like so long ago it is so long ago um I like I said I am generally quite academic so um I remember there was a, a module that I did actually, the molecular basis of disease. It was one of the option, one of the options that we had to choose. And it was, it turned out to be the most difficult one. It was recognized as the most difficult one, but I loved it. Uh, like the projects that we did during, like we were allocated projects and I got, I think it was on, my one was on like fragile X syndrome or something. I'd never heard of it. And I had to write this whole, it was practically a dissertation on fragile X syndrome and its treatment and stuff and I like I just loved it it was so interesting and it it came down I guess it ticked that kind of more medical 
aspect. It, it got that out of me better. Um, I wasn't much of a partier. It was never really, I'm, I'm not much of a partier generally. Um, so I never really got into that side of kind of uni life. Uh, but also like my dissertation itself, like it, it was probably more in the last year and a half that I really kind of excelled and got to grips with it all. And because it was becoming more like reality and the, the real life of a pharmacist rather than more kind of lectures and learning. Um, I can't remember which year we had um, labs where we were making creams and emollients and stuff, but I would always remember that as one of my favourite um, uh, things to do. I can't remember which which term it was in either. But anyway, it was it. it's funny because reflecting on that now, that's where kind of my journey with Infinity Aromatics started. Um, and it's it's kind of brought everything together. I didn't think I would ever do anything like that later on in life and actually, you know, make it into a part of my my professional life almost. Um, so it's kind of come come around 360 degrees, but it's so much fun. I really enjoyed it when it was happening. I didn't think it was going to, you know, didn't think I was going to make anything of it later on, and I have <laughs> completely taken me by surprise. Um but during university, we had a lot of, you know, we, we were exposed to like community pharmacy and then hospital pharmacy. And that was kind of it. Uh, and I had worked all through university in community pharmacy as well, like especially during the summers and th uh, Christmas and summer holidays and stuff. Um, so and I had a so it was a regular kind of thing. I was kind of expected of me to, you know, continue with my pre-reg in that chemist as well it was on Camden High Street it's a great place to work it was a lot of fun like super busy you were exposed to so so much um and it had an amazing perfume and cosmetics counter as well so it was great uh but then I I think it was in third and yeah third fourth the summer of uh the the summer of third year I had a few um hospital placements vacation placements it was at Whittington Hospital and Barnet Hospital <clears throat> And it completely, like it opened my eyes to a completely different world. I had so much fun. It was a lot more clinical, which was, I realised, really more of what I wanted. Um, so then when it came to applying for pre-reg placements, I did, like I, I applied to hospital pharmacies and it was, uh, I got a few placements. Um, and then I had, had to make that decision because I had already been offered uh, a community pre-reg placement for the whole year. Um, so yeah, I ended up taking hospital and that was kind of the beginning of my hospital journey, I guess. I kind of left community behind. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's fair enough. And it's, it's interesting that you raise quite a few points there. Number one, obviously the 360 with Infinity Aromatics. And now that you think about it, and you go back in time, there was some passion there in terms of enjoying uh, pharmaceutics and kind of building tablets and creams and formulations. And you might have enjoyed it, but at that time you could never see where it could lead in terms mm. of a career unless you went to work for a big pharma company. And you were very kind of lab focused and going into an internship or um, a pre-registration year where you got exposed to that environment because Back then, when we were both studying, it was very difficult to get a role with pharma 
pharma or industry. Um, And also it was difficult to get placements there so you don't get the exposure. Mm. And it's risky to just do a couple of maybe modules which relate to that aspect of the pharmacy world and then decide that's the kind of job that I want to go into without having any real experience. Like it's quite intimidating to think, oh, is this something that I could do? And because the masses and the the kind of common aspect of pharmacy is going to work in community or hospital, you you end up choosing that route without having the opportunity sometimes to highlight some of the skills and you don't even think about it, to be honest. Absolutely. I mean, it's good to highlight to any students out there at the moment that, and I say this all the time, is that when you're at university, genuinely reflect and write down things that you enjoy because once you know what you're passionate about and once you know what kind of lights you and makes you happy that's where you need to look at that skill and then relate it to a specific job within pharmacy for me communicating with patients was an absolute winner Mm -hmm. I used to work in community pharmacy throughout um, university and talking to customers, especially regulars, was like the highlight of the day. It kept me going. It kept me wanting to come back to work. It kept me wanting to help people because I just enjoy talking to people. And look at me now, I've got a podcast and I'm still talking to people. Um, so I can see where my passions lie in terms of communication. Yeah. Um, and I knew that back then. And I knew that is something that I have to incorporate into my day-to-day life. So it's really valuable when you're at university to, or even in your early career is once you get exposure to the environment that you work in, genuinely write down and reflect, these are the bits that I love, these are the bits I hate. And when you then apply for jobs, make sure that you're looking for the qualities, the skills that are going to <clears throat> be things that you enjoy. I can see the the other point that you raised is um, you accepted a community um, pre-reg year and then obviously change your mind and this comes up in conversation as well because the timing is really challenging in terms of accepting a position and this doesn't work so much with pre-regs now or trainee pharmacists because of Oriel mm-hmm. um, but when you accept your first kind of pharmacist job it still applies because a lot of um, interviews for band six positions come up at different times of year Um And when you start applying for jobs, um, you could accept something. And then three weeks later, another big hospital, for example, has put their adverts out and you get the interview and then you're kind of stuck. You know, is it unprofessional um, to say no to someone and then accept? Uh, Of course, yes, it is slightly unprofessional, but it is quite tricky. And you want to make sure that you get the right job. I think... um, one thing that people need to be aware of when you're in a trainee role is to research the hospital and maybe reach out to that hospital prior to those interviews when they come out or the applications and go and ask for visits um, and truly see what's happening when you when you go there and whether or not you feel like you might be able to fit in and talking to people and communicating with people on the day, you can see people's passion when they're working you can see what people are doing what the environment's like um you can walk into a dispensary and see how busy it is um, and what you're going to be exposed to from that perspective and and just kind of getting that exposure 
um, because that will help you to, to decide whether or not that that hospital interview is going to be the one. I know that can be hard getting time off work, but it just takes a little bit of planning and preparation. Yeah. Um, and, and it's worth it. Yeah, agreed. And you don't come across unprofessional because mm. don't forget that if you say no to that hospital mm. and then next year you apply for another job, they may remember, you know, that you said yes and then turn around and said yeah. no. So that's, you know, an important point. It's kind of really take important. Um, but... You took this hospital job. Yes. Uh, what was your uh, pre-reg year like? Oh, it was one of my favourite years. Um, there were five of us that year, which was more than they normally had there. Um, I think we all gelled very quickly. Um, actually, two of the other pre-regs who were with me, uh, had we went to university together, but never really kind of socialised together, I guess. We knew of each other. Um, so there was a little bit of familiarity, uh, but it we just became like such a good group of friends. It was like, yeah, I had the best time. Um, and obviously we learn a lot, a lot. Um, we had some amazing rotations, like the team in general was, it was one of the friendliest places that I've ever worked. Um, it wasn't a huge team, uh, but you know. Everyone worked together well. There wasn't that that I was aware of. There weren't that many politics, you know. Everything just flowed and worked nicely. Um, and then at the end of that, I actually was thinking about going back to university and doing a PhD because for my dissertation, which was lab-based, I did surprisingly quite well. Um, and I they actually ended up awarding me... Um, a prize at graduation, I think, because I I ended up scoring the highest somehow out of my year, which was quite an achievement. Like for me, I, like it was just not something that I expected because it was just I was doing something that I actually really enjoyed. Um, so then it kind of put me in a situation where I was like, actually, like I in my mind I was thinking I'll do my pre-reg, you know, and then I at least I've got the registration. I can go back and locum whenever I need the extra cash, but I would like to pursue pre-reg, um, sorry, a PhD. Um, so I went and spoke to my old dissertation tutor again <clears throat> uh, to see if they had anything going and, you know, what the process might be to apply and all this kind of stuff. And, I mean, he was extremely supportive, but there was just not that much out there because we were just coming out of you know, the recession and everything, things were a little bit difficult. And as a PhD student, you really don't earn anything. Um, and I I kind of decided that I don't want to put myself in that situation um, where I am pretty much reliant on my family still, even after, you know, all these years of education and grinding and, you know, finally getting to a point where you should be able to kind of support yourself. Um, yeah, I just didn't want to put myself in that situation. I wanted some freedom to look, you know, be independent and look after yourself. So I decided to kind of put park the PhD to the side and just apply for jobs. Um, and then towards the end of pre-reg year, um, there was a principal pharmacist at Whittington who actually was... I think he was being seconded to be a chief pharmacist at the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital. Um, and 
he was looking for staff, essentially. The staff at the at, at the RNOH were, it was a tiny, tiny team and he needed to build it. So he asked a few of us if we would be interested and I, I, I took it because I knew that at that point as well, jobs were really hard to come by. Um, I think, I, I'm, I'm assuming that you were probably in the same situation, but when we started pharmacy school or were applying for it, jobs were quite plentiful. The pay was pretty good. You know, it was quite competitive. You could, um, essentially jobs were guaranteed. There wasn't that much competition um, and the pay was good as well. And then when we finished, the, it, the story had completely flipped. You know, I had so many friends who didn't have jobs to go into after they finished their pre-reg and they were continuously applying. Um, even locum rates had dropped like less than halved, uh, you know, within months. Um, so things were a little bit difficult. Um, and when I was offered this opportunity, I, I kind of grabbed it because I didn't like I wanted some certainty. Uh, so then I, I was a bank pharmacist at the Royal National Orthopaedic as a band six for about four months. And during that time, I was applying for, you know, permanent band six opportunities so that I could just kind of keep the momentum going as much as possible. Um, and I ended up getting offered a job at the Homerton Hospital, um, which is in East London. Um, so that was it was quite different to what I was used to, but actually going from Whittington, where I did my pre-reg, to Homerton Hospital, they're both kind of district generals, you, you know, you'd have your rotations and everything. And it was actually a really good experience because it really built my foundation as a hospital pharmacist and, and in different rotations. So I I think my first rotation was gynae and surgery. Um, so I was there for a while and then I went into... Um, so that was also including orthopedics. And then I moved into um, neurological rehab for a while. I had rotations in like respiratory and endocrinology and hematology. Like it was a lot of good experience. It kind of gave you a good kind of overview of everything pretty much. Um, but during that time, I suffered an injury to my back and it kind of really knocked things off kilter. Um, where I wasn't able to work full time anymore, I, I had to. I was I had to take some sick leave, and I was uh, when I went back to work, I was part time, like three days a week for quite a while, like several years. Um, and it really affected me mentally as well, not just professionally, because I really felt like I was being, uh, I I was holding myself back, but it, it was just everything was pushing back and it wasn't where I wanted to be in life, you know, as a pretty new pharmacist. Um, so from there, actually, that's how I started Reiki. I was taken, my mom actually found this um, Reiki practitioner who, and she booked an appointment for me and I had no expectations whatsoever because I was like, I was, I was not in a happy place at all. Um, she actually ended up, my appointment was on my birthday that year, actually. Um, and I was just not in a good place. Uh, I remember crying in the car on the way to, to my appointment because I was in so much pain and just sad, you know, I was, it was my birthday. I was, I just wasn't in a good place. Uh, and I got there, she literally just lay me down on the bed. She was like, relax, I'm going to do my work on you. Um, 
And when she had finished the session, I opened my eyes, kind of woke up, um, sat up, and I just felt completely different. It was a massive shift for me where I, it's such a cliche, but it was like this cloud had completely shifted. Um, and because of that experience, I agreed to do more sessions. So I booked up with, with her um, and then it just continued for months. And I thought, you know, this is amazing. Like it's completely changed everything for me. Um, it really put me in so much more of a positive mindset. It, it, it changed my life, essentially. Um, I started doing meditation. I was building myself physically back up to, you know, managing my injury a lot better. Um, mentally, it was just a complete flip where I was, I, I felt much brighter and happier and it helped me cope with my pain. Um, so then I decided to learn how to do Reiki myself <laughs> uh, and I attended retreats and this kind of, you know, I was just working on myself a lot more. Um, and at the same time, like I remember I was at Homerton and I was working on my diploma at the same time, as well as doing Reiki and, you know, yoga and going on retreats and that kind of thing. And it was, there was a lot of work that I was putting into myself and I really wanted to, to change things because I felt like I was starting from scratch almost. Um, so from there, uh, I actually got uh, I started applying for jobs I had built myself up to a place where I was full-time again and I started to apply for more jobs because I felt like I needed a change um because it, I had just been you know there was a lot of trauma associated to those years and I just needed to move myself out of it so I was applying for jobs uh, I actually managed to get a position in a private hospital in central London which was a bit of a change I never expected because I think like you going into pharmacy school, you knew what you're going to do. Um, and then when I made that decision to focus in hospital pharmacy, it was just like NHS because that's what we do in the UK, I guess, because we have the the luxury almost of having the NHS. Um, so, yeah, I kind of bucked the trend, I guess, and went into private, which was a very, very different experience. Um, it was not so clinical, actually. Um, it was a great experience and I was earning more money, which was great. But actually, I did feel like I was being stifled a tiny bit where I wasn't getting much kind of developmental opportunity. Um, don't get me wrong, I was exposed to things that I wasn't previously exposed to, like urology and... Um, gastro as well which was fun I, I actually learned all about like TPN and actually started some critical care stuff there as well which was um, very different but there were a lot more challenges associated to private healthcare as well where you've got to think about you know how things are going to be charged insurance um, branding you know you you wouldn't use generic products so you really need to be more aware um pharmacists had to do a lot more in that hospital as well where the techs weren't you know they weren't like um medical optimization pharmacy technicians at all they were dispensary based and would go and do top-ups on the wards but 
everything else was up to the pharmacist. Are you doing drug histories, meds rec, TTAs? The TTAs were written on the back of a drug chart by a consultant, essentially, because the consultants pretty much do their own work. Um, and there was a problem of uh, the language barrier as well. We had a lot of foreign patients. Um, so I actually ended up learning a little bit of Arabic, which was interesting. <laughs> Not that I can remember much of it now. Um, so yeah, it definitely had its challenges. Uh, and then I came across an opportunity to get a band seven position back in the NHS. And I knew that I wanted to get back into the NHS because I knew that there were more opportunities there to progress. Um, so I ended up coming back to the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital. <laughs> You're 360. <laughs> Another 360. Um, yeah, it was a rotational band seven pharmacist opportunity. Um, this was now probably four years after I had originally been there. Um, four, yeah, four years after I'd left. And it was a completely different department. It was crazy, the change that had happened. The team was a lot, lot bigger. Um, we had more space as well. We had office space, which we didn't previously have. The dispensary had completely changed. Um, I mean, it was great. It was a completely different department that I was walking into and much happier as well. Um, so my first rotation back there was as a dispensary pharmacist again. <laughs> um, but with that, I was it was partnered with like the paediatric ward. And that was actually my first experience of doing peds. Um, but obviously, as you know, I had a little bit more confidence as a pharmacist by that point. Um, so it it was a challenge, of course. Um, and it's always a little bit... I know you can 100% um, kind of sympathise with this where it's a little bit heartbreaking also when you see children going through some of these things that they experience and helping families cope with it. Um, but yeah, I loved it. It was so much fun. And then, yeah, we had, you know, rotation. So we had um, a bone tumour unit rotation, spinal cord injury rotation, you know, loads of different spine surgeries. Um joint reconstruction unit is there's a lot going on there and it's it's tertiary care so it's very very specialized um but I've had so many opportunities there it's been great so from a band seven I actually had um the opportunity to apply for a maternity leave cover for our critical care theatres and anesthetics and pain management pharmacist um and that was an 8A role uh, so I was full of kind of trepidation, uh, filling out that application. I put so much work into it because I was really like, oh, I don't know what, even though, you know, she was actually my line manager as well. So I could have spoken to her about it, but I think I didn't, ha I lacked that confidence in myself. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to do it and try and keep it as private as possible, just in case I don't get it, because otherwise everyone's going to know. Um, but I ended up applying for it and I was offered the position, which was a huge shock to me. Um, because I, you know, critical care there was a, a bit of an enigma. No one really got involved in it at that stage. Same with theatres. No one stepped foot from pharmacy into theatres, really. Um, and pain management was something that I was really, really interested in because of my own experience of pain. So actually, when I, um, after I had my injury and, you know, reflecting on it over the, the few years afterwards, I really recognised the need to put more effort into helping patients with pain um, and everywhere I had worked I had had a lot of input in like um, the surgical aspect um, of their management which 
was one of the main things that we were doing in all of the places that I've worked. So um, pain was a big deal. Uh, and I was constantly involved in helping patients with their pain. And then doing the Reiki as well was it because I know how much it helped me. I just like I knew how much it could benefit people as well. So um, when this opportunity as the uh, as an ATA pharmacist came up, focusing in pain management, I was like, well, that's a really good opportunity. And it will give me some um, scope to to kind of be more involved in the acute and chronic pain teams and with patients and their pain in general. Um, so I went for it, I got it. And then that kind of snowballed into everything else. You know, one of the first things I was asked to do there was to review the acute pain formulary and like the CD policy and all this kind of stuff, which suddenly became my responsibility. And I was just almost, like very bewildered, but it gave me a lot more confidence in what I was doing and what I was going to be doing moving forward. Um, and I also felt like I really had to prove myself to not just myself, but to everyone else as well, because I was stepping up as, you know, a rotational band seven to suddenly this critical care pharmacist who also did um, theatres anaesthetics, which was completely new for me and pain management. Uh, so then I was asked to, to start my independent prescribing course and it made sense for me to focus in pain management for that. So that was my scope of practice. Uh, it was acute post-operative pain. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's just continued from there. I had a lot of opportunity at RNOH. Um, I'll step in because you've yeah. shared so much. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry. That's perfect. I've got like 10 follow-up questions. Go for it. Um, I guess going back to what you kind of originally said about um, Reiki um, and your experience in terms of pain, one of the questions I guess I have is that how did you manage your time so well? You're going through something quite emotional mm -hmm. as well as physical, you know, like you're going through quite a, a mental challenge. And you said, you know, it was quite a traumatic experience for you, especially to go from um, a budding kind of newly qualified pharmacist starting out your career and boom, like you have to go to part time work um, and that can make you feel quite it's quite debilitating because you just don't feel like you're progressing and I bet part of it was comparing yourself to people around you that hey friends colleagues everyone else is you know progressing much faster than me and it's very difficult not to make that comparison to other people I went through a similar experience moving to Abu Dhabi and seeing all my friends go into band sevens and band eights, um, band eight roles at, at home. Mm. And I felt like, oh, you know, that's where I want to be and I'm here. Um, and my perception of what I was doing was, I don't know, it was, it was, it was, it was negative at the time because I missed the NHS a lot. Um, and it was only until after you know, a few years did I realize what an amazing opportunity I did have living abroad. And now I value it massively. Um, so how did you manage your time to actually study and do those retreats, as well as kind of working and looking after yourself? Because you said that you spent a lot of time rebuilding who you were. Yeah. Um, 
Gosh, that's such a difficult question to answer, actually. There was so much that happened, you know, because I had to... There was an aspect where I... Medically, for me, things weren't happening as quickly as they needed to be. Um, Scans had shown that I either had like a fractured part of my spine, a facet joint, or that it was just malformed to begin with. Um, so the que- there was a question mark there and they, they weren't sure of what to do. Uh, they actually, the surgeon suggested surgery might be a potential option. Um, and having worked in, you know, in hospital, I really wasn't keen on surgery. Like I, I really thought of that as a last option. Um, so whilst I was waiting for things to happen, you know, they recommended physiotherapy and conservative management to begin with, which I was very happy with. Um, everything just took forever. You know, referrals weren't going through. And then to get an appointment, it took a long time. I mean, compared to what things are like right now, it was probably a lot better. But it still took too long, you know. Um, so then we ended up, my my parents actually you know, paid for me to have physiotherapy privately. I had uh, like acupuncture type therapy every few weeks. Um, My mom actually did some research and found this therapy that's available in America, apparently, and like sports and um, athletes use it to help recover from injuries faster. And she found uh, a doctor who does it here as well it's not recognized on the nhs so it's a bit of a it's a bit out there um but it's called prolotherapy essentially it's like injecting um an irritant solution into an area of injury to um, initiate healing um i found out that i'm also hypermobile so my joints are a little bit more flexible than they should be which also wasn't helping my injury and and helping its recovery so i ended up having this prolotherapy every I think it was every two weeks or a month, I can't remember, but I had several sessions of that. And from being almost like bent over and not able to kind of stand up straight and walk normally, you know, without a limp or some, you know, uh, uh, an uneven gait, I, it changed everything again. Similar, it was, it happened at the same time or similar time as the Reiki. So the two of them worked very nicely um, together where the Reiki really helped me mentally cope with my pain. The prolotherapy didn't help my pain at all, but it helped me physically kind of be more stable, I guess. And uh, my my um, posture improved so much from that. Um, and then finally, I, w- I think I was offered like facet joint injections or something. So there was some element of pain relief, which which was under the NHS. Um, so I had that and it again, it made things so much better for me. So the three things together really, I guess things worked out quite well in in um, reflection because it happened at the right time. Um, and when, when I had the injections, I went into it with a mindset of, you know, if this works, because we weren't sure if it was going to work or not, um, if it works, I'm going to really make the most of it. I'm going to find like a personal trainer. I'm going to really focus on my yoga and Pilates and things like that to try and 
you know, strengthen my core up as much as possible so that this doesn't keep kind of twinging and, th- you know, it doesn't keep going out of sync. Um, I was getting sciatica pain all down my legs, it, like it was horrible. Um, and it would flare every now and again as well. So I really recognised the need to keep my mental health in check because stress was one of the factors that really affected it all coming coming back, essentially. Um, and then as time went on and I was able to exercise and really put put that physical effort into myself, I realised that when I wasn't doing that, like if I was unwell, I had a cold or a flu or something, and I was just like, I'm not going to this class or whatever. Within a week, I knew that, well, my pain was back. So I recognised that actually it was this exercise and regular exercise and like the regular meditation, the work on yourself mentally as well was so, so important. Um, And because I was still kind of part time at that stage and I was starting to kind of work up my hours, I had that time to put into myself as well. So that it was just everything in retrospect. I know at the time it was so difficult because I really felt like I was being held back and I was I was not where I wanted to be. I was not able to have much of a social life because I didn't have the confidence to go outside, never mind you know, be able to manage it with the pain either. And I wasn't able to take many medications, many analgesic medications, because I was having side effects that I just didn't want to deal with. Um, and actually, when the, the medications that I w- was taking at the time, which were small doses, like gabapentin and cocodamol, but small doses, um, they were just making me feel horrible. They weren't helping. And then I ended up experiencing really bad headaches constantly um which I didn't realize I think it was a physiotherapist who told me actually that it's probably your medications you've got medication overuse headache and I was like oh my goodness I'm a pharmacist how did I not recognize this I'm also sure that gabapentin gave me tinnitus which isn't one of the side effects that I listed but you know in retrospect it's all stuff that had to happen to to kind of get me back on track, on the right track, and really think of the holistic stuff that helped me and continues to help me. Now I'm at a stage with my pain where I am, it's under control most of the time. I don't consider myself a chronic pain patient anymore because I've not needed to rely on medications. I very rarely take any medications now. Um, I don't really need physiotherapy for my back pain. Like, you know, I'm working on myself and it's the consistency of doing all of these things that really, really make the difference long term. And that's stuff that I tell my patients now as well, because I have, we can come on to this later, I guess, but I I run clinics um, for chronic pain patients and it's really all about the consistency of what you're you're doing for yourself, not about your medications. It's it is about the physiotherapy, but you can do that by yourself as well once you're shown how to do it. It's about pacing all your activities. It's really about having your mindset in the right place and having the right lifestyle. And because I've worked through it myself, I know that it's it's it works. Yeah, that's perfect. <clears throat> and like you said, working part-time and using the rest of your week to really focus on you yeah. and your mom is amazing. And she's helped. She's she learns. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, 
I mean, mums generally are. Yeah, but, but um, <laughs> you know that that's amazing that your your parents, you know, supported you, and looked at kind of, you know, alternative ways to to improve your mental mm. health, physical health. So that's amazing. Um, and I love that you spent so much time on on rebuilding who you were and getting back to that, you know, strong, independent, mm. hardworking woman, you know, that you wanted to be and not drowning in kind of pain and feeling sorry for yourself and I mean, allowing it. I was it. there for a little bit, but let's fair not enough. focus on that. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. And and everybody goes through that yeah. um, when they go through challenges. But, you know, you've got, you've had the willpower, you've had the determination, the motivation to to, to come out of that independently, which is amazing. Um, I also wanted to ask, so you did your band seven rotational job and you mentioned that you wanted to apply for this mat leave 8a post and it's interesting that you say that you kept it quiet mm. um partly because i think there's this perception that um in pharmacy that some people have like self-doubt that you look at other 8as and what they're like and and what they've achieved and again you make that comparison to the people around you and you have that doubt like I'm not quite good enough and I think this is a really valuable point to bring up because when you apply for jobs and you look at your um, essential and desirable criteria mm. I've done it you expect that you have to take everything off in order to apply for the job and you have to be good at everything on that list otherwise you're not worthy of applying for the job which is completely and utterly ridiculous and wrong and there's nothing wrong with the way that you felt at that time and it's completely natural and normal but I think it's really valuable to bring up the point that when you do apply for jobs look at the criteria and think about your motivation to get better in some of those aspects. So you may not have had experience with everything on that list, yeah. but are you self-motivated and enthusiastic and where can you find opportunities in that job to then gain those skills and convincing that employer that I don't have this, but this is what I'm going to do to get there. Yeah. So pick me and, you know, we'll have a successful kind of relationship in mm. building um, this job together. And it, it's it's really, it's challenging um, to kind of put yourself into that situation where you feel like you're not quite good enough. But actually putting yourself outside of your comfort zone is also a strength um, that everyone needs to try every now and again. Um, and not just wanting to stay in that very, you know, small, comfortable zone. Yeah. Um, it's 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 a really it's a good way to experience um, that discomfort, so that you can grow as a professional, and it's really valuable. So you did you did it. You I mean, did I it. Went for it. Yeah. And do you know? It's funny that you say that because just a couple of weeks ago, I heard this. There's there's evidence apparently to show that females are only likely to apply for a position if they fulfill like 90% of the um, person spec or JD. Whereas males will go for it even if they only fulfill like 40 to 50%. I've heard this as well. Have you? <laughs> and it's incredible. It's so true. Mm. And actually, I'm really, really glad that I, because I didn't fulfill that, I, I'll readily admit it, I did not 
fit every point on that um, JD at all. I, I didn't have management experience. Like, yeah, I had, you know, helped with training um, pre-regs and, and pharmacy students and things like that, but I didn't have management experience. Um, I had no critical care experience. I didn't have formalised, like, pain experience or... It, it was completely new. Like, the whole thing was new, you know? So for me to go for it, I was, yeah, I didn't expect it at all, and I did keep it very quiet, and I didn't... It was more because I didn't want to, you know, be... <laughs> I didn't want to fail, and I didn't want people to know about my failures either. That's another good point, though, and something else I was going to raise is mm. that I've spent, you know, quite a few years in pharmacy now, and I see that quite often, that people don't want to let others know that they're applying for jobs because they are afraid of failure. And then the perception of others that, oh, yeah, she didn't, you know, she mm. didn't get that job. Um, she's not that good of a pharmacist. But, I mean, again, these are, you know, internal thoughts that people need to sit down and think and reflect and say, it's okay. Part of growing is failing and part of growing is putting yourself in situations which are slightly difficult. And if you don't get a job, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. The important kind of takeaway point is that why you didn't get the job and then making the steps to improve yourself so that when you do apply for something similar, that you are that person that's chosen. And it is really hard. And and I say to junior pharmacists at work as well that whenever they're applying for jobs, reach out. So don't hide. Don't not tell people that you're going for a position because actually there are lots of people around you who will want to help you mm. and support you and give you the advice yeah. and the confidence and the reassurance that you can go for that job. And also people around you will support you in terms of interview preparation, mm. mock interviews. There's many times I've looked over people's applications, looked at their CVs, looked at their NHS job, you know, um, the the letters, at the what are they called? My brain's gone. Um, like the person spec like, yeah, yeah. Um, that you do at the... The job ad and all of this yeah, kind of stuff. Like yeah. how you go through that. Sorry, my uh, my brain is a little bit tired. <laughs> Lack of sleep, sleep from parenting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I've supported lots of junior pharmacists with looking at those applications and trying to improve how they've actually documented what they're good at and their mm -hmm. transferable skills, etc. And And people are willing to support. Yeah. People are willing to help you to grow. And that's what the pharmacy community is all about, especially if you work in a hospital environment. You've got plenty of people to kind of help you grow. Yeah. So it's, it's a good kind of takeaway point from what you experienced. Just, not just even within pharmacy. Like if you have good relationships with like your ward doctors or consultants, registrars or your nurses even, like they can help so much. They can give you guidance and and. Uh, ideas outside of just pharmacy mm. and that's something that actually I've really valued as well like maybe I've always had good relationships with the doctors that I'm working with but having their insight into situations as well makes a big difference so that's yeah just another thing another tip yeah to to the pharmacists out there um in terms of getting the 8a and starting 
a management role. Did you have staff that you looked after in that job? So in that maternity cover, I did not because, because I, so they changed it slightly to, to f- help me, I guess, um, because I didn't have the management experience. And I also say so to be an ATA there, you need to be an independent prescriber. And I didn't have that. So they changed it a little bit so that I was doing all the clinical stuff, but I wasn't doing the management stuff. And I did it as a band seven, essentially. Um, One point that I think is actually really, really important to make um, is that it's really so important to put yourself in a position where you're doing, you're pushing the envelope, you know, you're really putting yourself out of your comfort zone and may not be financially rewarded for it at that point. But to get that experience is so valuable because then when you do apply for those those opportunities later on, it's there, you've done it, you know exactly how to deal with situations. Um, so that's what happened with this maternity cover. I was doing the the clinical side of that cover but not the management side um which was probably a good thing because it was a lot like the the role itself is huge and then to add on management on top of that it's I don't think I would have actually managed and I wouldn't have done it I wouldn't have been able to manage the management side of it very well either um so yeah a lot of my focus was purely clinical um because critical care was very new to me, I wanted, and and there was the opportunity, obviously, to attend ward rounds, which at, before I joined wasn't, um, it wasn't expected. Uh, I think at the time, at a similar time, there was a new uh, critical care lead consultant. He had just started as well. I mean, he was, he wasn't new to the organisation, but new to being lead uh, of critical care. And when we were we were chatting and I thought, you know, it's really helpful to me to uh, attend your ward rounds, but they start like, you know, at eight o'clock or whatever time in the morning. So actually I agreed, you know, I'm just going to come in early and I know I need to stay until five because otherwise there's not going to be anyone to cover in case you need anything up to that point. So it came out of my time and that was absolutely fine because I was benefiting so much from it. Um, I learned so so much but also I was able to input all the pharmacy stuff that needed to happen at the same point and it just made the whole process a lot more efficient so when when you know the ward was full and there was the adult and the um, pediatric side when everything was full you know we could we could take up to like two o'clock in the afternoon to see all the patients and then it's all the follow-up as well and then to cover you know, to do the other bits of the job at this, you know, after that was, it was a lot. It was a lot to do. There were a lot of times that I stayed late. And at the same time, because I was asked to do the prescribing qualification, the balance of, you know, life balance just became work, (laughs) work and study. Um, So again, it was a big change, but because I knew, look, it was only going to be short term prescribing course only takes or like six or nine months at that point um and I knew that it was a maternity cover so at some point you know the the 8A pharmacist who went off uh was going to come back and she was going to step back into her role so I just wanted to make the most of that experience because I felt like it was a bit of a gift um 
And that's what I did, essentially. I really just wanted to prove it to myself that I could do it. I really, really, really enjoyed it. The team on Critical Care was amazing. And at the same time, I was asked to, as a part of the role, they had actually just set up chronic pain pharmacist clinics. So they are held once each week. And patients referred into the clinic are those who need help with managing their medications, their analgesic medications. Um, and obviously pharmacists are best placed to do that. Traditionally, the doctors or the nurses would, would help patients with that. And obviously there was a recognised need for pharmacists to get involved in this team. So it happened again at a very fortunate time where I was stepping into this position and was asked to to have these clinics. Um, and it's been, that's been the one thing that I think I really would like to kind of focus on, I guess, moving forward because I've put things in place now, not just me, my team, um, the whole senior management team have helped me put things in place with critical care, especially so that other people are trained up in it now. It became um, a rotation for the band sevens. Um, so now I've got other people trained up in it and I don't have to it's not just that pressure is not just all on me, which is really, really helpful. And I can focus my attention in other areas like the management, like chronic pain, like acute pain, in theatre, medicines management as well, and anaesthetics. And so because as an ATA, you know, there's so, so much you can do. And at the time when I, when I was doing the maternity cover, a lot of my attention and effort was going into, you know, hands-on critical care. So we needed to shift things a little bit and that's happened fortunately over the last few years. But this is all part and parcel of professional development yeah. and maternity leave contracts are a brilliant way to step up because it is a, a one-year contract and generally the employer isn't expecting you to fill the original person's role. Mm. I did a maternity contract at the Evelina, that's how I got my job there initially and I definitely didn't fit all of the criteria. I didn't have loads of P's experience at that time. I'd only had a three-month rotation as a band six in my second year of being qualified. Um, and it's been six or seven years since then that I applied for a tertiary centre paediatric role. So the fact that I didn't have that experience, but I was able to sell myself in a very positive way that I'm willing to learn, I'm enthusiastic, I know what I need to do to grow clinically, um, give me the opportunity and I can prove myself mm. that um, my my clinical knowledge will excel significantly just being on the wards and kind of getting into grips with, um, you know, a job. Um, and it was quite scary when I first started. There were loads of things that that were very new to me. There were band sixes and sevens that knew way more than I did. And part of me had to accept that yeah. and be okay with that. And I still say that to this day, that it's okay that you work with people who don't have as much experience or are in positions below you in terms of the NHS structure, mm. but you just learn from each other. Be happy with that and grow together because if you have the mindset, um, which is slightly negative, that, oh, I don't know as much and, you know, I'm not I'm not good enough, you will never allow yourself to grow um, and you'll just live in a very kind of negative world. But 
I used the band sevens to learn. There were mm. band sevens doing um, PN rounds and I would join them. I might be in, a, in an 8A role and I actually might be managing that person. But that doesn't mean that you can't learn from that experience. So that kind of maternity leave contract is amazing. And like you said, they didn't make you um, fulfill the management kind of responsibilities and it was probably given to someone else but actually that's part of the beauty of the NHS that they can do that because mm. I didn't have that flexibility like working in Abu Dhabi it was expected that you filled all the criteria so the mm. NHS is quite good in that way mm. um, and the pharmacist's job that I was covering I mean she's been doing pediatrics for 10 plus years and the education side of the role she had loads of experience so it was kind of big boots to fill yeah. It was intimidating, but I felt like this is the one year opportunity, same as you. Do the absolute best, get as much experience as you can, learn as much as you can, mm. um, expose yourself to any environment where you can see yourself kind of, you know, experiencing that passion where you could potentially then go into another job and for me it was I've got this maternity leave contract and I really want to stay I need to prove myself to myself that I can do it I need to prove to them that I'm worthy of staying on in a permanent position as well so that self-motivation and drive was always there yeah. um, but I had a, the support of a very you know family-friendly team and in pediatrics they are like that um, they are very helpful and kind yeah and if you work in pediatrics generally everyone around you is just so fun loving and amazing um, it's very different to the adult world and even the the, the medical teams you know very supportive in terms mm. of your education education so that's kind of one point to raise um, from what you've experienced um I guess another thing to to bring up is oh good job by the way on setting up these clinics and getting other people trained because that's amazing I mean that's uh, service improvement right there do you know it wasn't I can't I cannot take credit for that at all it, they were all set up before I even stepped into the role um I think my my predecessor took that she did a few clinics herself and then it was time for her to go off on mat leave so I was just it was like okay it's over to you go for it <laughs> yeah but the idea of getting people trained up um so that you are freed up to do other responsibilities that an ATA are expected to do like yeah. that's great you know um so that responsibility like you said is not all on you that, mm. that's you know that's really valuable in terms of being an ATA is delegating yeah and learning that you don't have to take responsibility for everything, sharing that opportunity, helping other junior pharmacists to grow in terms of being yeah. able to run a clinic on their own. Like that's really exciting. And having that as a rotation in itself is very exciting for them as well. So the the actually the sevens aren't doing clinics just yet, but they are covering, they're starting to cover um, critical care. And before like pre-COVID, that wasn't a thing. It was it was me. And I actually we had just started a rotation prior to the rotation prior to COVID happening. Um, and I it was quite funny, actually, because that that band seven pharmacist finished the rotation and then left. <laughs> so I was like, oh, no, it's, it's just me again. <laughs> oh, no. And then COVID happened. So it was it was all again, very oddly timed. Um, but it's been with. We've got to a situation at, within our department where where we are, where we were very robust in our team, 
and we were developing the experience and the exposure, you know, at the uh, so much happened over the, a few years where we had, you know, switched our uh, dispensing software. We had um, opened a brand new um, hospital building, essentially. So all of our wards are moved into this spanking new building and it was beautiful and great and all of the wards had pharmacy rooms and everything was pretty much everything could be done from those satellite rooms and everything so we we got to a situation where each ward had you know a specific pharmacy team um so there was a lot less pressure on dispensary things shifted it meant the whole like the structure of the pharmacy department itself kind of shifted and with that shift I was able to get rotational band seven pharmacists so then even during COVID we were we were training pharmacists up on critical care because obviously you know there was a lot there was a lot of effort nationally in training critical care pharmacists up at the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital we don't generally get really really sick unwell kind of medically unwell critical care patients they've come for surgery it's an elective hospital at the end of the day and yeah we do have complicated surgeries and obviously patients are going to have complex histories so you need to be able to um, manage those those patients and plan and do what you need to do as far as possible uh, to look after those patients Um, so when I first started, there were, it, it opened a lot of, like it really opened my eyes to things that I probably wasn't looking at before um, in terms of their medical history, um, their risk scores and things like that, and then how to support those patients in in their recovery. Um, and then for me to be able to also kind of impart that knowledge on other pharmacists I've always I've always actually really enjoyed training other pharmacists and you know challenging them making them think um about what's going on and learn essentially I find it incredibly satisfying and it was it's always been a little bit frustrating where it's I've not necessarily had the time to do that because when we're putting these situations and it's you know standard across the board you're you're juggling that with, you know, covering a ward or seeing loads of patients and that kind of thing. So it's, you're you're very split, but that's the life of a pharmacist. You're juggling a lot, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats at the same time. You're supporting your doctors and your nurses as well and making sure that things aren't going wrong with, with the patient's medication. So there's a lot that we do think about. On critical care, I feel like it's a little bit more maybe than, than other areas perhaps but I mean I've found it so kind of fulfilling at the end of the day and then because there are so many different aspects to my job having the clinics as well it kind of it really makes you switch it's a complete switch of roles you're thinking in a different way you know my clinics are telephone clinics I'm not necessarily seeing patients face to face I'm not able to read their body language or you know see what if if it's possible to physically see the the why they're in pain, um, so you're you end up learning a completely different set of skills, and you're really focusing. You're you're paying more attention to like nuances in the way they speak, or or, or the words that they use, and things like that. You're looking things up a lot more, so you understand what their issues might be. Um, and I've been doing these clinics for over five years now. Um, and actually, 
a few years ago, I was asked to, well, I asked <laughs> to do a, a master's degree in pain management to, to kind of support my more specialism in pain management. And I've just finished, actually, which is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Such a relief. <laughs> it was a lot of hard work. Again, it's, I think with pharmacy generally, um, going back to your question, why did you choose pharmacy? Uh, a part of me thought that, you know, you're not going to be able to, you're not going to have to constantly be learning, you know? And that was the biggest, <laughs> biggest um, mistake that I I made in terms of like, it was just wrong. I was completely wrong. <laughs> I'm always learning. Pharmacists in general, you can't be a pharmacist and not always be you know, teaching yourself, either formally or informally, you have to be on the ball all the time and and picking up new things. There are new medications, there are new, you know, side effects and new interactions. COVID happens and you need to, you know, reskill in completely different areas, right? Um, but pharmacy does give you balance in life when when you can have it, where maybe other professions may not. And working for the NHS is actually... Um, a good it gives you opportunities where other other organizations also may not like you've mentioned earlier as well yeah i mean you've got to evolve with the times as a pharmacist and actually as a professional you know a healthcare profession i think it's one of our strengths that we are able to multitask to yeah. the extent that we do it's yeah. amazing how much you kind of put into your job and just from the conversation that you've you've just had and the information that you've just given you wear so many hats every single day but it really does build who you are yeah in terms of your career and what you're able to achieve and it's absolutely amazing mm-hmm. um you came into this conversation before we started saying am i able to, you know am i going to give your listeners, you know, what they want to hear. And literally, you've given everything and more in terms of the person that you are. Think about everything that you've achieved. You've been really determined. You've been, you know, self-motivated and you constantly want to grow. Mm -hmm. And pharmacy does give you that kind of like mental strength that you just know in your mind, like, I want to do more because I know it will impact my patients You've done your diploma, you wanted to become a prescriber and then to top it off, you're thinking, actually, yeah, let me just do a little bit more (laughs) because it's going to give my patients that, you know, 10% edge on the information that I'm going to provide, the communication that I can improve on, the evidence base on pain management and how I could tweak someone's treatment, but give them a better quality of life yeah. like that's what you've done it for obviously you're enjoying the content in the background but at the end of the day you're doing it for patient care yeah and no one else you know that's exactly it so that is amazing and i think pharmacy does give you that it it, it gives you that kind of drive to grow and and i love that about our profession and mm. it's bloody hard work and no one's saying that any of this is easy you give up so much of your time my family are always teasing me they're like are you ever going to stop your degrees because you've got like 13 years of postgraduate kind of like university life like when are you gonna quit and I'm like I'm never going to quit like this is the life of a pharmacist and you know it's kind of it's expected but you want it 
like I'm in pediatric palliative care now and I've already kind of started looking at diplomas and master's degrees in that. What can I do to grow in this, you know, profession and in this specialism? Um, and I have to build the courage to ask my management for the money. Um, so, you know, building a business case to do that is is something really valuable. And I want to set up clinics now that I'm a prescriber. Um, and yeah. of course, I'm on mat leave and things are a little bit slower than I expected. But when I get back to work, this is mm-hmm. something that's, you know, I want to achieve. Um, I mean, we've talked so much about your career to date, um, but I really want to learn about your side hustle. <laughs> um, tell me, I guess, um, You've started doing Reiki, you've mm-hmm. you finished your studying, but you've built a lot in terms of focusing on pharmacy and potentially doing some Reiki on the side. And it's probably minimal amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Where did you get to in terms of um, in terms of your life where you started thinking, I want to spend more time on building something outside of my normal pharmacy job? And how did you like build your brand effectively? So, I mean, it's exhausting. <laughs> but look, I I learned how to do Reiki because I knew how much it helped me. Um, for for anyone who doesn't know what Reiki is, it's a form of energy healing, and on on a person or and on animals as well. It focuses on your chakras. Um, so there are seven main chakras and imbalance in any of those areas can really kind of um kind of knock you off kilter and reflecting on the information that I was kind of given when I was receiving Reiki for my injury specifically it really really made sense to what was happening in my life um essentially I was uh, part of that information was that I had I had a back injury and it was because my root chakra was imbalanced um, and spiritually to help improve that I needed to become more independent and at the point of where I was when I received that information I had you know I had regressed massively in in terms of my independence because I was becoming so much more dependent on my family uh, you know, it got to a point where when I first had my injury, I couldn't even open the fridge door without it really, really hurting. Like I was that dependent on people in my family to help me. Um, So it really put things into perspective. It made a lot of sense to me. Um, And it got me to a point where I wanted to learn how to do it. So I learned how to do it. I was, it helped me kind of treat myself and keep myself in check. So that again, gave me a little bit more independence. And then going on retreats and things, which my first retreat was in Portugal and I hadn't, um, I hadn't flown because I was scared of being on a plane for so many hours and not being able to like move around and stretch and all this pressure on my lower back. And, you know, it was, it makes you think way too, like re, the the extent of my overthinking was ridiculous. So I was always talking myself out of situations where, where I shouldn't have been. Um, but anyway, I went on this retreat and I was fine. You know, we were doing yoga on the beach and doing Tai Chi to like when it was like at sunrise and sunset. It was, it was beautiful. And I was receiving Reiki there as well. <laughs> like it was great. Um, 
I was in pain at some points and that was okay. You know, it, it helped me understand that it, it was okay. Like nothing bad was going to happen. I can deal with this. It kind of helped me realize that I had the tools to deal with it and it not be, you know, the end of the world. Um, and in doing, in, in practicing Reiki on myself and on members of my family as well, it really just put things in a different perspective. I really valued the way, just the atmosphere in the house, the benefits that we were all experiencing from it was, it was so valuable. Um, and obviously I wanted to do it like it, I mean, you can earn money money from doing it, which is great. I wasn't actually doing, you know, I wasn't offering it as treatments to other people at that stage, uh, probably because I didn't have the confidence to. Um, and then it, it kind of became, you know, back of my mind. You know, I wasn't really focusing on it. I was focusing on pharmacy and building my life back up. Um, and then a few years ago, I randomly saw as you do, a video on YouTube <laughs> of how to make candles. And I was like, oh, this is weird. Like, I've never been a creative person ever. Um, I, I really didn't connect with that part of me at all. And then I saw this video of how to make candles and then one turns into like 20. And I was like, oh, this is actually really, really interesting. And in a few of those videos, they were using essential oils. And then I started researching essential oils and different scents and the benefits that essential oils can have, not just in scent, but in therapeutic benefit as well. Um, and as a part of um, my Reiki um, th uh, therapy that I was receiving, I was, exp uh, I was having hot stone massages as well with Reiki. And that, I mean, they were amazing, extremely therapeutic, beautiful um, treatments. Uh, and there was essential oils being used in that as well. So I, I already had experienced some of the benefit. Um, so yeah, I just started doing some research and I was like, I can make a thing of this. Uh, so I ended up ordering a ton of essential oils and like other equipment, wax and all this kind of stuff. And actually I wanted, because at that point I was really in that mindset of therapy. Like I want it to be therapeutic. Um, so actually my first products were massage candles um where when you light it and the wax melts you can actually use that melted wax to like massage into um joints or wherever wherever you wanted to essentially you could have it just because it smells amazing but you, it was also having this amazing kind of pain relieving benefit as well not just from the massage action itself but from the oils that are in there um so I was experimenting a lot, uh, just, you know, for, for family and friends, essentially. Um, and then we, it, Christmas was coming up. I kind of put it to the side. Christmas was coming up and we, we were doing a secret Santa within our family. And I had <laughs> picked my sister, um, who uh, lives in America, but was coming for Christmas. And I was like, oh, this is perfect. I'm going to make her this whole set of, um, products, you know, um, candles, um, balms, all these kind of um, salt scrubs and things like that, because I had everything to be able to do that. And I decided on a whole range of different kind of intentions. Um, and I was really like, you know, I, I it was very homemade. 
Um, but she really appreciated it and she used all the stuff and, you know, the, the feedback was so um, positive and fulfilling. I was like, oh, this is quite, like, I was quite proud of myself, you know. Um, and then I just put it to the side again. It was, this happened over a few years, you know. I started, I picked it up and I would see a video and I'd be like, oh, I want to try that. And, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd do it again and think of other ideas and, you know, just tinker around. And then I was talking to a friend about this stuff that I, had, you know, was experimenting with. And he was like, Mita, you know, you need to make this into a business, right? And I was like, nah, I, you know, I, I can't do that. I grew up with parents who had, who ran their own business. And it was literally, you know, eight days a week, constant go, um, 6am to like 8pm, 9pm, and then eat and sleep type lifestyle you know it was it was grueling and that was their life essentially and I always told myself I don't want to have my own business so when my friend told me this I was like no not interested and he was like no no you really should do this um and I, I started uh thinking about you know what I would call my business and branding and logos and all of this kind of stuff and my range of products and uh, I was one thing I was really, really sure about was that I wanted Reiki to be like center of it all. Uh, that was so important to me because I, I, you, it's not just about using it on your body, but you can put it into your food, your drinks, you, you know, your environment, and in products as well. And and that was really important to me because I knew the effect that it was having on me because I was using my products as well. Um, and we always had candles burning at home and that kind of thing. So I knew the benefits that I was receiving from it and my friends and family were receiving from it. And I, I was like, you know, what? Like, it's just about upscaling it basically, isn't it? And getting nice kind of branding and labels and that kind of thing. And boy, did I realise how wrong I was <laughs> after I started doing everything because then you need to think about websites and social media and photography and content creation. And, you know, I didn't expect to have to build a website or, or and I was never involved in social media. Like, I, like it just wasn't anything that I wanted. I'm, I'm, I guess I'm normally quite a private person <laughs> and I don't post anything on social media normally. And then suddenly I was like, no, you have to put yourself out there. This is it. This is how marketing is done now. Um, so it's been a massive learning curve over the last few years where I've tried to really kind of set this this thing up. Um, and at the same time, really focus on Reiki and how um, how to build my the Reiki part of my brand and treatments and healings and you know crystal therapy and all of that kind of stuff and intertwining it with pain management as well because that's how I got into Reiki and then candles and massages and all of that kind of stuff myself so because the the heart of it is I know the benefits of it because I've experienced it myself Reiki probably saved me from a very different life um, and I want to be able to give that to people who are suffering, not not just with pain, but anything, you know. It might just be because you want a nice smelling home and walking into an environment which smells beautiful. I mean, it, it makes a big difference, right? <laughs>
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, it's interesting because I can I can kind of visualize you at home, kind of getting into your flow state, just enjoying a hobby and being creative, an aspect that, of your life that you didn't think you had that quality. Mm. And pharmacy is not exactly known for creativity uh, in, in terms of the profession. It's not what you commonly think about, nor do you think about business skills, except if you're going into community pharmacy and kind of ownership mm-hmm. of a pharmacy. Um, it's not something that is um, focused on in university either. Yeah. So you just don't have that mindset that I'm business savvy. Yeah. Um, and then, like you said, you know, your parents obviously were running a business and it's just long hours Um, 24-7. Yeah, 24-7. And you're kind of on call 24-7 because it is your own and it doesn't exactly make it, um, you know, I guess something that you want to do because you like the nine to five Mm -hmm. or the hours that you do and then you turn off um, and you don't worry about work. So it's a very different way of kind of um, experiencing a job. But when you find something that you're really passionate about, And when you find something that you love, you do it in your spare time. I mean, I went into this podcast in such a, you know, similar fashion. You know, COVID hit. I was teaching students. They had no idea what pharmacists do. Mm. Genuinely, first year students. And it's not their fault. They've come into a career, um, into a profession that they're they just mainly know about community and hospital. They know that industry exists, but it's rare to get jobs or challenging. And they think it's too hard. Um, and I was like, well, there's so much more that we're doing. And how can I showcase to young people? And where can I showcase what pharmacists are doing? And I listen to a lot of podcasts and I have for years Um, and obviously my husband had just started one himself because he's in the lifestyle and like the health and well-being space and I thought to myself like I could definitely do things in the podcast world which hundreds if not thousands of people would enjoy on their commute to work, in their car journeys, you know, sitting at home, relaxing with the headphones on, just learning in a very kind of non-work kind of environment. Like it's not like, oh, attend a professional lunchtime webinar. It's just enjoy a conversation between two people in your ears. And now obviously you can visualize it in video. And I've surprised myself And my listeners have surprised me in so many ways. I did not know that this would grow into an international network of over 100 countries in the space of a year and a half. And no idea. But when I have conversations with a pharmacist, when I'm editing, when I'm doing social media, when I'm on my LinkedIn account, messaging people to come onto the podcast that I don't know or researching what people are doing out there and would they be suitable to come on this podcast I'm in flow state I have no idea what's going on around me I am not concentrating on even hearing my children in the background or what my what's happening with my phone Um, I am in total bliss I'm enjoying what I'm doing and then that feeling 
has sat with me. And when I think about working on the podcast, I'm up for it. I'm ready. I'm good to go. Like, yes, I want to get into this. And I'm on maternity leave and I'm really making this podcast grow and I'm spending my spare time enjoying that. Mm. And when you have that passion and when you can see that it can build into something, it really does motivate you. And obviously that's exactly what's happened to you. And it's happening organically. Mm. It's it's happening at a slower pace than you probably want because you're working full time. But at the end of the day, it's still moving and you're taking the necessary steps to make it what you want. Yeah. And I I love that. It's thinking about like when I'm in the zone, like you're saying, and um, producing these, these products, like when I'm, when I'm actually making the products, it's complete zen. Like I may have had the most stressful week, so much may have gone wrong, you know, or it might have been so, so busy and like just crazy. But then the weekend comes and I know that I've got to do this and I may be exhausted, like like you can probably empathize with, but you do it. And when once you're in that zone and I'm using Reiki whilst I'm making all these things as well, um, it just, it's bliss. And it makes when when you finish the process and you come out, you forget everything that's happened. You've come out of that kind of, you know, that state of like, oh, I'm just, you know, really wound up or stressed or, you know, buzzing. You're just balanced. And because because we have that passion for what we're doing, it's, it just it will just always happen naturally. I remember when I was... Um, for for the range of products that I have right now, the scents when I was putting them together and experimenting with different essential oils, um, my products are very intention based. So the essential oils and the scents that I wanted to use had to fulfil those intentions. Um, and I don't come from. I haven't studied aromatherapy. I've done a few short courses in essential oils and and you know, using essential oils. So coming, using that knowledge and then thinking about our potions and lotions class at university, you know, it it put me in a, it was almost like a trance where I, it just happened. I don't know where this information might have come from, um, but it just poured out of me and the final product was like, it worked. Suddenly it just kind of it just kind of appeared almost and it was it just happened so authentically for me um I mean I did need a little push where I was told you can make this into a business but actually following it through and yeah taking my time with it but actually but doing it the way I want to do it and I'm I'm very um intuitive I really do try to listen to what my body's telling me what my mind and soul are telling me um, so if things, I need to sit on things sometimes, you know, I can't, I, I can't always make decisions straight away. I might need a night to, to sit on it and think like, what do I actually, or meditate on it and figure out what the right answer for me or, and my business and my life might be. Because at the end of the day, we are juggling so many different things. And actually if things aren't right for us right now, that doesn't mean it's not going to be right for us a few months later. So yeah, I've been doing this through covid as well actually um and working full time through covid and you know doing the masters at the same time it's it was a lot to juggle i did 
bits with Infinity Aromatics here and there. I did Reiki here and there. But having come out of that kind of and finishing my master's, I really, really wanted to push forward. And it's meant a lot of stress. This summer has been crazy um, because I've been writing my dissertation and being unwell at the same time as well. You know, life still happens. You still have to go through everything that might be coming for you. Um, but you you do it because you want to do it and it's important to you and your experience. Like I, I get so much fulfillment from this. I had my first event a few, like a month or so ago and where I was actually talking about my products and and like advertising them and you know people were asking me questions about oh what's reiki or oh, what do your candles do or oh, this smell you know what's what essential oils have you used in here and things and I didn't realize I mean people have filmed me <laughs> talking to to customers about it and that that alone feels so weird but I didn't know that it was happening so it was fine <laughs> um seeing the light in my own eyes of how I have been so like happy just joyful about talking about my business and everything to people and the work that I'm doing because I am passionate about it I really do believe in it it's 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 just a completely different it I don't think I would ever get that from pharmacy but I also l love the work that I'm doing in pharmacy so trying to converge the two is I guess my next aim <laughs> the next challenge yeah, that's amazing that you obviously did your first event and uh, lots of exciting things to come in terms of organic growth and being authentic in terms of where Infinity Aromatics goes. Um, and it's the same for me with the podcast is it's it's growing slowly. Well, a lot of people... No, it's not. It's, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's not growing slowly. I say that to myself because I think I put a lot of pressure on myself to give more. I always feel like I'm not giving enough um, to my listeners because I want to produce more content. And that takes it back to passion is that I want to do more and I want more time to be able to build this yeah. um, for the people around me. Mm. Um, but the I guess from from my perspective is that where, where can people find you in terms of your website and social media so people can have a look? So I am on Instagram and Facebook at Infinity Aromatics. Um, professionally, I am on LinkedIn, although I'm not very active on that. Um, I mean, I work at the Royal National Orthopaedic Hospital. You can find me on nhs.net and feel free to email me amita.patel3 uh, at nhs.net. Um, I think that's everything. Yeah, no, I, mean, I can put all the links in um, <laughs> the you. show notes. And um, I really genuinely appreciate your time today. and everyone who comes on to the podcast. It's very exciting for me and, and I'm really grateful that um, you've shared your story and also shared very personal experience mm -hmm. that you went through. So um, I appreciate that. And um, I look forward to see what happens with Infinity. Thank you.